Hello and welcome, I'm Pooja Sarkar and you're watching Capital Ideas, our latest podcast from Forbes India, where we speak to leaders in the world of business, economics and finance. Now we're running up to the budget, it's just three or four days away and I thought who better than speaking to somebody who's a market maven and who understands markets, financial services, who's created this behemoth called Edelweiss. We have with us Mr. Rashish Shah, he's the chairman and co-founder of Edelweiss Group. Thank you so much Mr. Shah for being on our show today. I will just quickly start with the question that, you know, uh, it has been one of the most unprecedented year. In fact, if I was just going through some numbers and it says that, you know, in 1907, India's GDP had contracted by 5%. And in 1918, India's GDP had contracted by around 10%. These are the years when India had seen a pandemic before. And obviously this last year we have seen a pandemic and we also saw a GDP contract. Now, my question to you is that there is always an effect of pandemic but how are we going to grow from here so obviously i think pandemic was what the economists call an external shock or an unexpected event and i do believe that in our lives in our career this will be one of the defining years because nobody would have expected even last year in february when i read about places in china getting completely locked down and people not allowed out of their house I thought how unusual it is. Can this ever happen? And it happened. And I think the and it didn't happen in one country. It happened all over the world. So I think it was uh, it was a it was a crazy year. Uh, the good news is we all lived through it. And I think uh, given the fear we had, given the panic that was there, I think the actual outcome has been a lot more handleable. It has created damage. I think in a way, and you know, it's been a year where economy has slowed down, people have lost jobs, uh, people have died, all that has happened. But uh, it's not as bad as it could have been. And at the same time, as you said, we are at a stage where we have to be looking forward. I think this pandemic or 2020 is also a turning point in India's economy. And we can talk about it as we go along. But I think it is a long-term turning point for the Indian economy. And the last time I saw something like this was 1991, when India had a big economic crisis with a balance of payment crisis and uh, there was you know all chaos all around. But the new Indian economy was actually born out of 1991. And I do think that 2020 will end up becoming a defining year for the Indian economy also and a really turning point. So I, I remain optimistic and mainly because the way last four, five months have been until August, I think from March to August, there was phase one. There was a lot of panic, a lot of uh, uncertainty, a lot of uh, you know fear, apprehension. We all had that. I had that. Even I would not have thought that things would have bounced back so well. But since end of August, I think September, then October, November, December, January, we have, seen, we have seen a significant comeback on the economy and the basic resilience of the Indian economy has been underlined in this, in this phase. And I think given that a lot of things are happening, we are seeing a rebound that has been actually uh, a lot more fundamental than just coming out of COVID. So COVID was like a catalyst for ending what I, what I call a long-term decline of Indian economy. Last eight years, we've been experiencing degrowth, uh, slowdown of growth in some form or the other. But I think this was like, COVID was like the final nail on that downturn. And we have now bounced back. And from all indicators, it looks like this is a structural upturn in the economy, which can last for the next few years. 
So when we talk about the Indian economy, rural economy plays a very important part in the uh, once the COVID, I mean the first quarter. After the first quarter, Hero Honda came and said they have done very good numbers in terms of sales in rural. I just wanted to understand. Even recently, there was an Oxfam report that came out which said that richer became richer during the pandemic and poor became poorer. Where do you see this growth to drive uh, to come from? And also, how is rural uh, behaving at this point in time? Actually, uh, the effect of the pandemic was mainly in urban India, where you know populations were more dense and people lived close by, and there was a need for public transport, and people had to use that. I think that is where the impact of the COVID on the economy was the highest. I think at the in the rural area, a large part of India was fairly insulated, and the rural economy continued the way it was so you are absolutely right i think the large part of rural india was insulated from the impact of covid even now you hear stories where people go to even smaller towns and villages there is no covid kind of a you know a kind of a situation a lot of covid was in the metros and the urban cities and the impact of covid on the economy was in the metros and the urban cities and also that is part one the other as you said the oxfam report said the rich have got richer and all because what has happened is one of the first response to covid has been through the monetary policy through loosening liquidity pumping in lot of money which has started for about you know from 2008 onwards what is called quantitative easing because any regulator any government's first response to any crisis is to loosen the money supply and that's the right one you need to keep liquidity uh, very loose when there is a crisis we did that in 2008 onwards we are doing it now and that is helps because that allows the crisis to at least uh, get manageable but a monetary policy always helps the formal uh, formal sector of the economy it always helps the the haves because the way the monetary policy works it goes from rbi to the banks and then to the formal sector so the upper end the triple a rated companies the good quality corporates the formal companies they do benefit from that it is usually the fiscal policy and same thing happened in the us the government when when the us government have started sending a checks so checks of 600 dollars a week to individuals is where their spending power came in so the government action the fiscal policy as we call it always impacts the lower and the middle class while the monetary policy always benefits the upper class and that and that's all over the world that doesn't mean we don't need monetary policy loosening we need monetary policy loosening but that needs to be followed by a loosening of the fiscal policy especially government spending but government spending can also be in two ways i think one is government investing money and the other is government putting cash in the hands of people i think in the current situation the more important one is going to be for government to put cash in the hands of people either by cutting tax for the aam aadmi by you know by reducing gst by even you know direct benefit transfer but we need to put more cash in the hands of people so that the economic momentum continues as we go forward true i was just going to come to that question you know that there is very little window that the government has in terms of expenditure so what are what is it that the you i know what would you think is the right thing to do for the government and as you said the cash is something that they need to put out uh, to people uh, but 
going to the next part of the question is that uh, fiscal deficit which is which has been a cause of concern for last two three years you know we've always been missing the targets obviously uh, last year the government said they would maintain 3.5 for 2020 but it is not possible where do you think our fiscal deficit would be and uh, how do you think government is going to manage that in fact for the next year for fi 22 in fact, uh, I don't think the fiscal deficit will be a problem. Uh, it is a problem for 21 because obviously that was a COVID year and government uh, receipts were much lower. In fact, ironically, because the economy is going to bounce back, we saw IMF has estimated that India's economy will grow at 11%, which is the highest growth rate in the world. So even if you take economic growth, most people believe that real GDP growth for the next year for India will be 10 to 11%. And if you add 4 to 5% inflation, the nominal GDP growth is going to be 15, 16%, which is a lot. Because if nothing else happens, government receipts will go by 15, 16%. So government spending, government will have a lot of room. I think the fiscal deficit will be closer to uh, five and a half percentage points. Of course, the long-term target is to be at three, three and a half or go under three also. That is what Indian government is committed. But I do think that that target of three and below will get postponed by a few years given the impact of COVID. And for FI22, when the finance minister presents the budget, we'll see 5.5% as a fiscal deficit, which I don't think will be uh, unexpected. And I think a government will not have a problem in raising resources for the next year. I think they might have a problem in spending it because as I said, if they spend it by giving money to the people, it's easier to spend it. They have to spend it by doing projects. Government's own spending uh, capacity is also limited. So government... Uh, will not have a problem in the next year. I think on a long-term basis also for the next four or five years, the privatization will be one big revenue source for the government. And I do believe that even on that, from what you hear government's, uh, government officials saying, the finance minister saying, I do believe that there is going to be a major disinvestment drive that will go on. And fortunately, with easy liquidity conditions and capital easily available, a lot of government assets or disinvestment will uh, happen in the next four or five years. I do think the government should announce uh, a disinvestment target from now to 2024. And they should say that we will raise 14 to 15 lakh crores by one big disinvestment drive in this year's. And I think, I think this is the best time. The global liquidity is ample. Interest rates are low. People are looking for good quality assets. So government pushing this investment will be another major source of revenue in the coming years. True. I was just going to come to the part on this investment that this year we managed to donate 18,000 mm -hmm. crore, which is in fact one of the lowest in the last decade. Uh, how do you think the government is going to you know, go about the entire disinvestment process? Also, do you think that the government is focused, has been far more focused on trying to do M&A and strategic kind of sales than just going to the capital markets? Because markets have been at their all-time high. Couldn't government have just gone ahead and done some liquid, I mean, share sale program and raise far more capital from the markets? See, I think we should be uh, more, uh, maybe, you know, empathetic to government. The government has had, had different priorities. I do believe until, until September, October, they were fighting COVID and COVID-related issues and, and the crisis that was there. The markets have been good for the last three, four months. Obviously, October onwards, markets have really been on a rampage. Uh, government disinvestment has a lead time. It takes government at least 
a few months to get things off the ground. There is, you know, BPCL going on, Air India is going on. So there are some things out there. But I do believe you are right. Government should now take this opportunity to say, in a structured manner, in a strategic manner, can we over the next four or five years sell, say, 10 to 15 lakh uh, crores worth of assets? I think LIC, the, the LIC IPO disinvestment is also going along. Yes, COVID did take the government's attention away to other important things in the middle of the crisis. And hence I'm saying, and see, you know, disinvestment is not a yearly thing because the market cycles are different. And hence government should set up a four-year program that between now to 2024, we will try and sell, maybe be ambitious and sell 20 lakh crores and then go out and sell assets aggressively, sell companies aggressively to meet that target. Sure. There's one thing that I want to take away from this answer that you just gave around having a long-term target of around three years, four years, and bringing that back to our conversation, you know, there are these big elephants in the room at this point in time. One is uh, what happens with the entire moratorium that has just closed, and everybody's been talking about the impact that will have, especially on the PSU books. Then there is bankruptcy code, which is just on hold right now. When does that come back to market? There is real estate, which saw, saw really a sudden upswing, but again, the numbers are moderating. There are way too many things that are happening. What do you think are the structural reforms in the long term that is needed uh, in this country? I think on the, on the moratorium, because you asked a lot of questions in this, I think on the moratorium issue, I do think there'll be credit cost will go up. I think provisioning and credit cost for the banking sector will go up. I've, I've always maintained that we should expect an additional one to one and a half percent per year for the next two years as COVID related um, you know, uh, credit cost for the banks. I think most banks have raised equity. They're prepared for it. So uh, as and when it happens, it won't be a surprise. Usually I think markets and investors react to unpleasant, unexpected surprises. If they are already expected, then if they're a little bit here and there, I don't think people will really get impacted by that. So I don't think that's a big challenge. Yeah, some PSU banks may require more capital as a result of the additional provisioning they'll have to do because of COVID. But I think the markets are good. Last couple of months, we've seen a lot of, BS, a lot of PSU banks also being able to raise capital equity markets and all. So I think that is uh, that will get compensated by capital raising in the equity market as all the private banks have also done. Uh, on the other side, I think, uh, uh, what was the other question you had? You had first was on the-, on the uh, What are the other largest structural reforms over the long- Yeah, on the, I think on the real estate, the real estate sector is doing well last three years. I think the- new launches have been subdued. So a lot of inventory has got absorbed. And even out of COVID, I think the last three, four months on that have been really eye-opening. I think real estate is doing very well, as is uh, automobile and all. I think steel, cement, all those sectors are doing well. And that is where the fundamental rebound in the economy is being showcased. So I do believe that I think real estate has had a very bad about five to six years. But even that I think reversal, the business cycle in the real estate market is also happening. I don't see prices going up in a hurry, but I do think sales and all have taken off. And, you know, with lower interest rate and mortgages and banks being very aggressive, a lot of this COVID-related impact will also have via banks being aggressive in giving home loans. And the reason for that is uh, the best way to manage the impact cost of COVID provisioning is also 
to push on growth. And with this low interest rate, pushing growth very aggressively. And home loans are the best product for any bank. So I think we have seen that we are seeing the lowest home loan rates ever. And that is also propelling uh, home buying. Along with that, obviously, COVID, after COVID, people have realized that home is very important asset to have. So, them, so I think more and more people are buying homes, upgrading homes. So all of that is leading to real estate doing well. Along with that, automobiles and hand steel and cement and other sectors, consumer durables are all doing well. So I think the economy is on a rebound. There was a long-term downtrend from 2011-12. Then there was a credit-related downtrend which got accelerated after ILFS. And then COVID was like the final nail on the coffin. But we are seeing a reversal of three down cycles. The long-term down cycle from 2012 onwards, the medium-term down cycle from 2018 onwards, and the short-term down cycle of 2020. All three have got you know, reversed at the same time. And that is why we are seeing this strong momentum in the economy. So I think the reforms are required, but a lot of reforms are now required is by easing taxes and like dividend tax and things like that. So capital efficiency can go up. I think uh, more FDI in insurance and all that is required because more capital can come in because that's one sector that can grow. I think we need some reforms in the credit markets and the bond markets and all of that. So that really the credit growth in India is driven not just through the banks, but uh, along with the banks via the bond markets and the funds and all that. So we need some reforms, but I think the economy is on an uptake and the government needs to just make sure that the right encouragement and the right incentives are given for the business growth to happen. True. Uh, a lot of people have been talking about the introduction of LTCG taxes, etc. that are, that may come and you know markets have been uh, a little scary about the fact that what kind of taxes can come in because the government obviously needs to shore up capital uh what could be the bigger dampener in the coming they said government doesn't need to shore up uh, more capital i think they can do it via disinvestment and the economic growth of you know nominal growth of 15 16 percent will give enough revenues to government for the next year so for 2022, government doesn't need to introduce any new tax at all. Uh, I think that that will be the best thing for the economy. Let people spend money, consume, invest uh, for this year because that will really drive economy. Not government trying to add one more tax and collecting 5,000 crores or 10,000 crores via that and trying to spend that. I think that is not the need of the hour in this year. Sure. And what are the, personally, what are your five, you know, big expectations from the budget? Everybody has some expectation. What are five from your end or top few from your end? So I would say one is, as I said, streamlining of dividend tax, because I think now dividend tax is the highest marginal tax level, which is too high because dividend should ideally be tax-free. Uh, the second will be, as I said, no new taxes. Third will be a big uh, privatization announcement. Fourth will be cutting taxes for the salaried class and uh, and maybe reduce the slabs because those amounts are low. And I think just giving people a psychological feeling of having more disposable income will be a good thing. And uh, and the and, and the last one is increase FDI and make a lot of approvals and all make it just very easy. We have to move away from an approval-oriented economy to a market-oriented economy. 
True. And uh, to have you on the show and not ask you about capital markets would be a sin. Markets have been at an all-time high. Uh, do you think the inflows will continue or do you think that uh, markets have now hit the, I mean, it hit its peak and that's why it's going to stay or do you think it's going to come down? See, markets are always going to be volatile and markets will always be, always be volatile. So in the short term, anything anybody says, uh, uh, you cannot, uh, you cannot predict the market in the short term. On a medium term basis, I think if the Indian economic growth is coming back, corporate earnings are going to come back. I do believe that uh, because markets ultimately in the medium term react to economic growth and corporate earnings growth. I do believe that currently markets are pricing in uh, a 12 to 13% corporate earnings growth for the next four or five years. I do think the Indian economy can deliver that. And if Indian economy delivers that, markets will keep on doing well. Along with that, structurally, I think there is emerging markets are making a big comeback. The US dollar is weakening and expected to weaken further, which is also uh, giving a lot of uh, flows into emerging markets. And India is one of the beneficiaries. Third is, I think, given the India's, how India came out of COVID. I know a year ago, a lot of foreign investors worried that India will be the most hit because of COVID. India will, Indian economy will completely get shattered because of COVID, because we don't have healthcare, we don't have, we had a more stringent lockdown, all of that. Seeing the resilience, a lot of, uh, you know, confidence and faith to the international investors in the Indian markets. And I think all markets, all equity markets are expensive everywhere. So when you look at Indian markets, you should look at it in context of other markets also. I think Indian markets may be as expensive as other markets, but India growth now going forward for the next four or five years will be a lot more stronger than other markets. True. I was just going to end the, end the interview with this question that, you know, you have uh, a lot of foreign investors in your company across your, other, uh, across your portfolio companies. I want to understand what has been the takeaway from your conversation with foreign investors? What are they saying about India and investing in India? I think they uh, they all love India's growth. And as I said, after the post-COVID, one of the other thing has been that India's ability to grow, India's growth, you know, momentum has been highlighted, has been underscored once again. So everybody is confident of that. So I think overall, they will continue to invest in India. They want to be in the Indian market. They just find India uh, not an easy place to work with. I mean, there are all this, you know, our tax laws and our all this other administrative uh, nitty-gritty is what tires people out. So they want more the arbitrariness, they, they want more certainty. So I think India and foreign investors always have this, you know, what I call a very complex relationship. They love India's growth, they love India, they love the fact that we are a democracy, there is rule of law, all of that. But what they find it hard to handle is this constant complexity of India, the uncertainty of India, the constant kitschpit that goes on in India. And that can be very tiring for investors. True. Thank you so much for your time today and hope you have a great day, sir. Take care.